morning. Jonathan, you didn't tell me last week I stepped off this range of the camera. <laughs> I walked way over here. When I watched it, there was nobody there. <laughs> this voice was coming and nobody was there. Well, we're going to go at it again. Get out your microscope so you can see the handout. I thought I had corrected for late nightness. I still didn't correct for late nightness. Randy, you just need to forget. You just listen to me, man, all right? All right. So today so we're taking a look at the series, Beliefs That Make Christians Crazy. In the book, Clowns and uh, Clown Townsend sort of say, these are crazy-making ideas for Christians. Um, make faith almost impossible. I mean, faith is impossible. Faith is difficult as it is. We don't need to believe things that make it more difficult. Last week we talked about um, what to do with your past. Now I got a question for you. See, when you get me back to back, and you have to put up with the way I teach, and the way I teach is. You may have forgot about yes last Sunday, but I didn't. So let me ask you this question. Do we leave it behind or we take it with us? Don't give me that South Dakota stare. <laughs> what do we do? Take it with us. Take it with us. Yeah. And watch God do what he does. Crazy stuff that he does. Um, I want to read the key passage for you um, out of Hebrews. Me and Mike have been having some good conversations about this book and about trying to shift things so that so that um, it makes sense and makes sense in the context of what we teach here at Hope. So let me read to you Hebrews three. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna look at a couple different places in Hebrews, but the the, the front end load is gonna be Hebrews three. So in the New Living it says this. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must you must warn each other every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as we as when we first believed, we will share in all the belonging to Christ. But never forget the warning. Today you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him, uh, as Israel did when they rebelled. So I'm going to read to you Roy's story. Um, and Roy is uh, the front-end guy in this, in this chapter. And I want you just to listen. Um, the 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 idea is if I have God, why do I need you? Really, if I have God, I don't need you. Now, I sat with this thing for from Sunday till last night because deep in my core, I fundamentally believe that if I have God, I don't need you. 
Now, that, that isn't a good way to think or a good way to be, but I'm wired that way. I'm wired that way, not in a good way. I'm wired that way because of pain and because of disappointment and my own and others' disappointment. So um, know that what I'm going to share with you today comes out of me bat- battling with this and trying to really make sense for because my head says, well, so, so what's the argument? And I know that's not right. I know I need you, and I know you need me. And I know there's something that happens in the fellowship and the sympathy and compassion and understanding of one another. So here's what happens. So Roy and I don't know which one, Cloud or Townsend, had been friends and hadn't seen each other. And here's what he says. Eighteen months, he said, um, it had been two years since Roy and I had seen each other. Eighteen months earlier, Roy dropped off of the face of the earth. A successful Christian businessman, he had been my friend for many years. One day, he was fine, I'd been told. The next day, he moved out of his home, took an apartment, and virtually disappeared. For over a year, Roy was out of contact with his friends and colleagues. He kept his job and visited his kids, but no one else ever saw him. He didn't return phone calls, secretaries, and answering machines ran interference for him. His friends speculated about what happened to Roy. Had he lost his faith? Had he gone crazy? Roy wasn't talking. One night out of the blue, Roy called. Roy called me at my home and asked if we could get together. So we made plans, and he flew in the next day. Over breakfast, Roy told me a story. For about a year, he had been under been under extremely intense business pressure that required a lot of him or required more than what he had. He had tried to tough it out, be strong for others. Times were tough, he told me. I knew if my struggles were bad, others had to be much worse. A deep depression followed. Roy shared his problem with with only a few friends. Get some time away, one told him. Rekindle with the Lord. Do a personal inventory of yourself, another said. Chances are you've dropped your walk with God to you chances are you've dropped dropped your walk with God to a lower priority, a third told him. God's rod and staff will comfort you. So Roy began spending time in the Bible and in prayer. And since stress and worry were waking him up at 4 a.m. anyway, he started using that time for devotion, but the depression continued. Black hopelessness and despair engulfed him. Depression finally got the best of him. Roy, emotional pain became so intense that he oiled and loaded his revolver to prepare for the only solution he knew. What happened to Roy? What happened to him? And here's my question. In our pursuit to live well, our pursuit to understand grace, in our pursuit to love the Lord, could that happen to you? Could it happen to me? I think the answer is yes. Now, I have two questions for you, and I need your 
involvement, which I usually do anyway, so that's not new, but I need your involvement. Because I want to see who my natural, your natural inclination is. Now, I want you to think about this. And so I need big hands on this. I want you to think. When life's disappointing or when you're facing troubling times, you've got three options, and I want to see who's who. Okay. So when it's a bad nerve week or month, what do you tend to do? How many of you square up, go toe-to-toe with it? Raise your hand. Square up, go toe-to-toe. I'm going to take it on, go right through it. I only got one in here, two, okay, three, four, five. Okay, how many of you need space and you move away? And you say, I just need some time to think about my vacation. I just need to get out of here. And you move away, far away. How many do that? Raise your hand. Okay. And then thirdly, how many of you do this? And it might be like this for two years. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what I'm going to do. How many freeze? Just freeze, okay? So, so now, let me ask you again. Now, you heard the scenario. Be straight with me now. How many of you go to it? I'm, I'm going to tear this down. It ain't going to stop me. Hands high. Okay? So we got a few of you guys who are what we call fighters. And how many of you I call vacation planners? I'll be back. I'll see you. I'm going to head out here, think about this for a little while. How many vacation planners? Okay. And how many freezers? Just smile, just stop moving. Okay. Well, see, here's the deal. At work, I might be. With my husband, I might be. And with my kids, I might be. Two different things. With my family. Okay, so like for me, in my job, I'm a vacation planner, then I attack. But when I was a kid, I could do this for years. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to kill somebody when I figure out what to do. (laughs) Right, right. Okay, now. Here's what I'm saying to you. Those responses, some of you think, some of you think that's the right response. Like you attackers, you guys who go fight, you think that's the right, yeah, that's the only way to handle this. It's a fear-based response. The vacation planners, hey, I'm just buying time. I don't want to act stupid. I know how JC is. He acts stupid. I'm going to buy time and be, that's a fear-based response. It's the same thing. And the freezers. This is the worst response you can have. It really is. Brain-wise, it's the worst response you can have. This thing here. Because <laughs> while you freezing and smiling, your, your chemistry is kicking quarters on you. Your, your, your body's saying, we need to do something dope. And you like, I don't know, though. <laughs> I ain't moving. And you do the exact opposite of what your blood chemistry is doing. And then there are kids and adults who live in that place for years. Okay. Now, All three of those are my first default solution, okay? The person who steps to it is probably more likely to not go alone. They're going to go to the place. 
but for the wrong reason. The person that steps away is probably going to be the one hiding alone, saying they're buying time, but for the wrong reason. And the freeze is, I don't know what y'all doing. Because I don't know what I was doing. I, I'm not sure I'm waiting on you, and I'm not waiting on God. I'm not sure I'm waiting on me either. Mm. Who knows what's going to happen? I'll just stay here and smile for a long time. What happened to Roy? What happened to Roy? The scripture I read says this. Remember, you got to get your magnifying glass out. But it does say something here. It isn't Hebrew or Greek. It says, brothers and sisters, see to it that none of you has sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Right? I would posit that Hebrews is calling us to understand that the deceitfulness of sin, it's a distortion. My tendency, it isn't in nature, in my cellular level, in my brain, all through my system, I'm wired to do something the scriptures tell us not to do. Lean on my own understanding, my own perspective, my own sense of outcome, my own sense of production, my own sense of what should be happening right now. And when that doesn't happen, that hope we call that tension, trial, tribulation, struggle, asking. And then we start to, when our first solution doesn't work, we move to the second and the third. And in this case, Roy, first solution was to try hard, work hard, and handle it, tough it out. That didn't work. So then his next solution was, I got to do something. So he starts to chase God. Now that is based on the presumption that God's far away. He's not. I might not be able to see him or perceive him because of my filter, but he's not far away. So sin's deceitfulness tricks us. It's a distortion. It says, make sure and sinfulness is not moral. It's this tendency I have to miss the mark God has for me, which is to believe that God is loving God. And if I start to believe God is not loving, and most of us do, those not loving situations challenge the truth that God is loving. Now, you guys are laughing for a second there, but how many of you know what I'm talking about? How many have had circumstances that challenge, the reality challenges the spiritual sense, the spiritual truth that God's loving? If you ain't raising your hand, you're lying to me. Okay? I'm straight up with you. All of us have had moments where we went, where is God now? And where are the people that suppose, how many of you have had circumstances that have happened in your life and the one that loved you and talked all that love stuff were not there when you needed them? Raise your hand on that Because we all have had them. Okay? And if I have, if God leaves me or my friends leave me, then I start to, I start to, I start to say either or. I don't say both and, I start to say either or. Pain, vulnerability does that. 
Now, Paul's right, and I think he's right. So deceitfulness leads, so the deceitfulness of sin leads, is set up by disbelief. That distortion then leads to hardness, which means I push away from God. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that. So in Genesis 3, you have a part of that there. So in Genesis 3, listen to what it says. The serpent was the shrewdest of all creatures, and the creatures the Lord had made. Listen to that now. The serpent, crude, made by God. Um, really, he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from the fruit of the garden? See, the word deceitfulness there means, the, the Greek there means, I start to develop reasons and rationalizations to disbelieve that God is in fact loving and interested in my best interest. And true there means that it presumes that Adam and Eve were a bit naive and innocent. And shrewdness means the serpent wasn't. And so he, he messes with disbelief. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Could that be that disbelief was standing in the garden with Adam and Eve? Could that be? I, I thought this was a perfect place. Now, am I reading that wrong? That means disbelief was there in the garden. And the serpent said, let me, let me see if I can tap this a little bit. And he says to the woman, now, here's the other thing that, gets misconstrued. I did a little homework two nights ago. For two nights I've been looking at this, so and I did a little homework. The Hebrew presumption when he says um, um, talks to the woman, the presumption, the word there is in plural. So what's that mean? Think about this now. Men, your, 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 your tail end is going to get a little soft here, okay? Because what it means is when he says plural, that means Adam was standing right there with him, listening, doing this. Okay. He says, goes on to say, of course you may eat. Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat or even touch it or we'll die. The serpent shrewdness says, you won't die. The serpent hissed. I don't know if that says it in your scripture, but in my Bible says that. Hiss. God knows that your eyes will be open when you eat it. You will become like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. He baited, he baited Adam and Eve. See, distortion then leads, that deceitfulness is only works if I'm prone to distortion, if I'm prone to distrust, if I'm prone to be suspicious, if I'm prone to not believe the gospel, that God, in fact, is loving and will care for you. And Satan says that. And Eve said, okay, 
So then Eve, listen to what Eve and Adam decide. Now, it says woman, but this is not, this is, this is plural. So I'm going to say they were convinced the fruit looked fresh and delicious, and it would make them so wise. So they ate some of it. And, and they shared it with each other. And at the moment they ate it, their eyes were open. And suddenly, wait a minute. It was supposed to feel good. They felt shame. At their nakedness. And they strung fig leaves. I call it fig leaf behavior. Now can you imagine? They put on fig leaves. And hiding. Oh, I can't do that because I go off the video. Hide. And God shows up and he is not, he's Helios. He knows in his, in his heart. They, they, just went, they just went their way. God says, uh, hey, Adam, Eve, where y'all at? And then he hide. And they come out. And he, and he I got to imagine, if he has a sense of humor, he's looking at he's like, what do you have on right now? Because they came out with the fig leaves on. He like, hey, what up? How you doing? And he said, what happened? And he knew. And if God's compassionate, his heart broke for Adam and Eve. Oh, my God. Hmm. So what happened? I think disbelief leads to deceitfulness instigated by the serpent. And they find themselves alone, ashamed, afraid, and feeling guilty. And then they engage in the blame game. We don't do that, right? Adam says, it's the woman you gave me, man. If you say, I mean, I don't know. Eve says, the serpent, man, I lost my mind. I was just listening to him. You know, but deep down below, the real blame goes at who? God, because I don't believe you who you said you are. I don't believe the deal you cut with me. Never leave you or forsake you, whatever. I ain't trusting that. They don't, but I'm not pointing the finger at God. Or am I? When I'm blaming somebody else, I'm not also indicting the Father. I can't indict him, but I am trying to. And the cool thing is he handles it. He ain't shaking. He ain't walking around. around. I'm gonna, he's not doing that. My kid, here's my kid. Listen to what happened. So if that's true, what happened? Because a chapter earlier, Adam says something that's really interesting. First, God says something. See, anytime I'm disappointed, I'm alone. And in chapter 2, God says something about that. You have it in your passage. The Lord took man and put him in the garden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden. You must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then listen to what he says. He administratively puts, God, puts Adam and Eve in charge. 
puts him, puts, puts, puts him in charge. And then he says something really strange. He says, and then he looks and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable, I'll make a helper suitable for him or a suitable helpmate for him. Now, if I'm alone, if I have God alone, I don't need people. True? According to God, is that true? Here's what I thought. So I've read this a number of times, and what I can't get my mind on is, you know, we, we talk about being alone with God. We go to the mountains and sit at the river, or we go to church and listen to worship songs, and we're alone with God. But Adam and Eve were alone with God, face-to-face, walking with him. And it wasn't Adam and Eve said, oh, man, I'm so, it wasn't Adam saying, I'm so lonely, I need somebody. You know, this cow ain't no friend, man. I don't know how to talk to the lion. And the rabbits keep running away. He wasn't saying that. It was God looking at his beauty of creation, and he says, I think, I don't think he even said it to Jesus. I think that was the conversation he had with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. The Father says, you know what, y'all? I don't think this is good. And then understand what he says. I am going to make a suitable helpmate or a helper that's suitable. And what that means is that doesn't mean subordinate. That doesn't mean one up, one down. It means he's saying this. I think we better create another human. That's in the class of Adam. That's an equal to. So when Adam gets her, he says, hey, Lord, this ain't a cow or an elephant. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And the image there is God said, I will create, construct woman. And he reached in Adam and pulled out some bone and some flesh, some veins and some blood, blew into it. And Eve showed up. And he wasn't right there saying, oh, she's hot, man. That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, oh, she's she's like me. You did good, Father. You did good. That's what he's saying. And for the first time, he created a helper, a partner in crime, suitable. Made from the same thing, in the same class. Necessary. Necessary. Hmm. So instead, Hebrews and Second Corinthians challenges us. If, in fact, it's not good to be alone, then, it, then we're challenged by what it says in Hebrews and, and my favorite, one of my favorite verses in Second Corinthians. And it challenges us to encourage. And that word encourage means it's two words, come alongside and to call, to call alongside. That's the word. And so let's see what happens, because something strange happens to Roy. So I pick it up where I left off. And before he went ahead to his plan, he decided to move out for a few weeks and try sorts of try to sort out things with the Lord. Um, one more shot at prayer, 
one more chance at inspiring Bible studies. Perhaps he didn't really connect with God during those other attempts. Perhaps it would be different this time. It wasn't. And Roy prayed intently for hours on his knees. He read the scriptures, pouring over them to seek the Lord. And he grew more depressed. You're still with us, I said to Roy that morning. What happened? It was the strangest thing, Roy recalled. As I was deciding to go ahead and end my life, my apartment my apartment neighbor knocked on my door to borrow a Phillips screwdriver. I gave it to him, and we started talking. He wasn't a Christian, but he seemed interested. Bill let me talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about my pain and my life, about my insane business pressures, about my marriage struggles, about my abusive mother and my absent dad, about my acting out in school, about my brother who let me down, about a conversation with Christ and how my life started to come around, about my many years of rescuing the world for God and how the demands on me just kept growing. Bill listened and asked questions. He didn't offer advice. He told me he thought I had a really tough life. That was all. And after a couple hours of my Bending his ear, he asked if I wanted to go out to dinner. We did. And then he told a story. Roy looked thoughtful. It was the funniest thing, Bill. It was the funniest thing. Bill didn't tell me to do anything. He sure wasn't God. He didn't say one word about God. And yet, for some reason, I felt better after talking to him than I did after talking to God. I hate the way that sounds, but it's true. I met some of Bill's friends. They were like him, people who had struggles, some believers, most not. But everyone seemed to want to listen to each other's problems. Nobody asked me to to take care of them. Nobody gave me spiritual advice. I could say whatever I felt. They just accepted. I feel guilty because I wasn't around Christians, but I stopped wanting to kill myself. And strangely enough, I started to want to pray again, which I'd pretty much given up on. Can you believe that? Feeling close to God with a bunch of non-believers. Anyway, after about a year, I started sensing more substance. I guess I call it, I guess you'd call it inside me. And I knew I needed to get back to my family and my friends and my life. So I'm home now. Everybody thinks I'm crazy because I'm not talking about it much. But for some reason, I'm now ready to reenter my life. Roy leaned over across the table. He said, "Which?" And he said. Which leads me to ask, which leads me to ask why I wanted to talk to you. I got a question for you. Why am I better? Why did hanging around a bunch of ordinary people help me? Hmm. Why did 
Ain't our ordinary people helping? Why is he better? Second Corinthians says, um, verse 3, says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we also share, we also, so also comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So what happened? I think Roy found a Jesus, a group of Jesuses. Jesus came down to earth to put on the skin and to be like us. He's our high priest. Who can sympathize. And I want to I expand your notion of sympathize or sympathy. What I wrote was, he can sympathize with our weakness. It's akin to this. Jesus can listen. He's experienced it. He understands it. He accepts it in us. And he loves us. And he was fully human and fully God. He gets it. The difference between him and us is not that he didn't make mistakes. The difference is he didn't doubt the Father's love. He continued to remain in the Father's love in the face of beautiful, joyful circumstances and trying and tribulating circumstances. And he also stuck with the people God put around him. Matter of fact, he went and got people. All the disciples, he went and said, yo, come with me. Yo, you want to come with me? Yo. He needed a crew. The God who created the earth needed a crew. I call them, there were three of them at Gethsemane, or at the, at the garden. I call them his garden friends. He needed those guys. He said, yo, man, I'm about to do something nuts. It's killing me, man. He called the three or four of his buddies that were closest to him, and he said, can you go with me, man? All I need you to do is in the garden and pray, man. Just pray for me because what's about to go down is just it's, it's crushing my heart. That's what you do. In, in, in this veteran week, that's. That's what our servicemen and women experience. It's what athletes experience. Anybody that's been a part of a team or a company or, or been through things with two or three people, you're forever bonded together because of it. The believers in this church, the believers in this community, we're all forever bonded. But the problem is the thing that bonds us, we don't talk about. We don't talk to each other about. I'm just going to talk to God about that thing I do. I can't let Randy know that, man. But what I found out is Randy, my wife, John, Brett, 
prepare me. They know me and they're they're okay with me. And somehow sympathy has the capacity to transform us. So I submit to you, we need both. We need God. And we we need a God. See, I understand why Roy walked away from the God that he might have been chasing. Because the presumption was God's far away. I got to go get him. God's not far away. Sometimes I think I got to go get him, but he's not far away. But I also understand why he walked away from people. It was too much. Either I'm a disappointment to them or they're a disappointment to me. I don't want to be that way with them, so I'm just going to leave you alone. And I got to pick. I'm either going to try and hang out with people and not do God, or I'm going to try and hang out with God and not do people. And God's calling us to both. And it's not true that having God alone is you're okay. You don't need people. We need each other. I need I need acceptance, understanding, people who with shared experiences, who love me, and who know I stink, and I'm crazy in the head, to laugh and love with me. Let me let me share with you what I found out. I'm reading a book called Rare Leadership. And I'll finish with this. In the book, he says this. Two things that I think are really worth sharing with you today. First of all, relationships based around, I think the reason Roy, Roy's relationship worked is because it wasn't based around accountability. Accountability is a fear-based connection. It's a poor adhesive for people-to-people glue. It's poor. It doesn't bond us. It makes me afraid of Devin and Devin afraid of me. We're connected because I'm an elder at the church and he's playing worship. So he's got to do this when I'm around. That's not connection. And I might hold him accountable if he hits a wrong note up here. But that's not love, joy, tenderness, kindness. It makes Devin not want to, you know, if I'm looking at him when he's playing, really, dude, you just did that one? You know, the next thing he's doing, he's, you know, he's telling people, I don't, you know, if we got enough of those people doing that to him, he ain't coming back. Right? So accountability is based on me pointing the finger at your performance, which is a fear-based response. All kinds of systems have built been built around accountability, and we know now they're failing. So let me give you the alternative, which we talk about all the time. These guys think they got it new, but we do this all the time, so I was really happy to see it, somebody else saying it in a different way, except for I know we said it first. So that's the way it works. So rare leadership stands R-A-R-E. So think about this. So they say four things in rare leadership. You see if you've heard this before. Okay. Okay. So the first part, the first R is relate with other people with shared experiences. Be relational. Okay. Be in a relationship with people who share your experience, your viewpoint, or don't necessarily even share your viewpoint, but we, we battle together. Secondly, they say, act like yourself. At hope, we call that authenticity. Authenticity. Act like yourself. Be in your skin. Don't edit. 
if you're around somebody and I'm doing like this, I'm around Travis, and every time I'm around him, I start thinking about what I got to say. Oh, that, I ain't going to say that. ain't going to sound right. Then I'm not authentic. I'm not acting like myself. I can't be around people who sanction me all the time. I got to be around people who allow me to be me. Authentic. Then they challenge us to return to joy. That's what the other R stands for. What I say is this. Return to joy simply means be with people who you can laugh and cry with. It bonds us in a way that's crazy. Be with people who you can laugh and cry with. Unedited. I can laugh with the fat belly laugh, and I can cry crocodile tears shooting out of my eyes. And the person I'm with, their posture doesn't change. That's just, Jay, I love it, man. I'm with you. They may put their arm around me and make it worse. Because that's what happens when you're in a mess and people touch you. Why you do that? You just come apart then. You just come apart. Right? This is what happens. But you also want to be around people who you laugh with. See, I think it's tears are one thing, but the belly laugh with somebody is, I think, very intimate. Very intimate. And I know some of you don't laugh with people. Like, that was funny. That's not a laugh. That's not a laugh. I don't know what that was. That was like a crack in the wall or something. That's not a laugh. Okay? Okay? And then lastly, they say, be with people who you've endured hardship well with. I don't, I don't, I don't want to put the qualifier on there. Be with people who you've gone through stuff with. Maybe you didn't go through it well. <laughs> Maybe you was a fathead through the thing. Maybe you was a, a, a flat-out knucklehead through it. But people know and have walked with you through it. The hardship, the struggle, the trials, the temptations, the sin, whatever that is. Be with people who you can say out loud your disbelief, and they don't look at you and go, come on, man, you need to correct that. You know? If I say, if I, I know here, if I say I don't believe God deals with me gently, I don't believe it. I'm not going to get nobody looking at me like, man, what's he doing up there preaching, man? What's that? No, I ain't getting that. Because I'm in process, and you guys know that. I want to be around people that I can, that have been through it with me, who battle with me, because it connects us. And those are the people I'm looking for when I'm in the next battle. So I asked the question, what happened? I'll finish with this and call the worship team up or the, the two players up. And what I'll say is that we need both. We need a God who's a father of all creation, who loves us and is waiting for us to confidently come to him so he can give us the grace and mercy we need. And we need the knucklehead, boogerhead, goofballs that we hang with. We need our, we need our garden friends, those people that we can walk through hell with. And they, they got our back. They won't bail on us. They cry with us. They laugh with us. They get angry with us. They're confused with us. We need them both. And know this, that at every point in the day, one or both is going to be extremely frustrated. Amen? Amen. Come on up. Come on, Devin, to be seen. Can I challenge you guys? Before you leave today, and I'm going to say this, and 
I know I'm getting in your business, but I'm going to get in your business. If there's somebody that's here that's your garden friend and you haven't told them, they need to know. Um, it's just, just an important thing to know that they, people matter to you like they do. Um, God put us here in this church, to, and the, the, the thing that's most powerful is our friendship. They go deep because we've been through things with each other. So let people know if you can, if you feel comfortable doing that. And I'll pray. Dear Father, we thank you for being the father that mastermind this whole thing. We thank you for being a father who's compassionate. We thank you for being a father who loves us and wants us to accept our identity as being your child. We are all your children, and sometimes we don't believe it. Lord, help us to further understand and deeply understand what it means to be a child of God, a friend of God, somebody you look after, you come asking about. And help us to be that for another brother or sister in the way. Help us to be a soft and gentle encouragement and not a noisy gong in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.